Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Romans 1, and the last time the message was titled Intro or Introduction to Romans. You know, a lot of ministries just pick their favorite topics from Sunday to Sunday, uh, and by doing that, you can actually skip the very difficult portions of Scripture and just, you know, get the crowd jazzed up and get people to come and sit in the seats. Uh, But the Bible speaks about things that are comfortable and uncomfortable, And this morning, we're going to be in the rest of Romans, and the title is The Sad Truth. Just where we are in Scripture, if you're new to the church, you know, we go through books. We go through the Gospels, we go through Paul's letters, we go through the Old Testament, and a subject will come up that may clash with what the culture is dictating. But I submit to you that God created everything. What he says is right right, and not the culture. So if you are new to the church, I want you to bear with us as we go through the sad truth of how humankind has walked away from God. The things people do, think and do when they're far from God. But the good news is at the end. The good news is that God so loved the world. Every sinner on the planet that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So we're going to look at this in five parts. The four, we, we, we're just going to, it's, you're going to see the declension in the four parts. And then the fifth part is going to be the positive news. And that's what we see a lot in scripture. Even when God has some hard things to say, he always has a good message. There's always a silver lining because he loves us. And I'm going to tell you this, that when a ministry either glosses over something that's controversial, maybe even polarizing in our culture. They do their hearers a disservice. Why do people need Jesus at all? Unless we fully understand human nature, right? Unless we fully understand sin, there's nothing to rejoice about. And there's really no need for Jesus. So we're going to look at where the human race has gone over thousands of years. It's really to the pit. And then we're going to talk about how God has tried to reverse that and and offered us a lifeline to come out of that pit. So we're going to jump in. Verse 18, Romans 1, verse 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, suppress, hold down the truth of God. Because what may be known of God is manifest. It's evident in them, in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead or divine nature, so that they are without excuse. A lot of people, you know, you call them on something, they justify, they lie, they divert. God knows the human heart. He knows what we're thinking. He knows why we might not choose to come to him. We can fool our friends, but we can't fool him. So one out of five is the human race is guilty before God. Not a popular subject. Not something that the institutions of our culture will rejoice in. But it's, it's a fact. Wrath is God's righteous indignation on a creation 
that wholesale has chosen evil over the creator. Now, not only in actions and thoughts, but in suppression of the truth. It's bad enough to say, I don't want God. I'm going to tell everybody I don't believe in God, but to try to spread that. And we see that in institutions today, right? Spreading this anti-God folly to others. I'm going to make a lot of connections this morning. I would call it the religion of evolution. That's only about 200 years old. What happened before Darwin? Listen, Darwin had some personal trials in his life, personal tragedies that colored his picture of God. He was angry with God. He really did not believe. But people have taken that and made it more of it is than it is. It's more Darwinism than Darwinism ever was. So Darwinism to me is a religion. And the reason why I call it a religion is because it takes more faith to believe in randomness created complexity. I'm going to go into that then a superior mind created everything that we see in the order. So uh, evolution is, is against, is where the creation is elevated above God. Uh, we also look at idolatry. He's going to speak about idolatry, worshiping the, creature, uh, the creature rather than the creator. So evolution is about the creation elevating it above God, and idolatry is about the creatures being elevated above God. Verse 19 tells us that pretty much we all know that there is a God by the complexity in creation and also by being embedded in our hearts. He speaks about this. Every culture, even what you know, modern countries would call primitive cultures, seek after a creator. They look, they search, they look for their creator. Um, according to God's word, the unbeliever is actually more concerned with the consequences of finding God than the probability of his existence. Let me explain that, because verse 20 says that we are without excuse. God has left his signature across all of creation. So I do a lot of discussions. I do a lot of debates. I talk to strangers. I love to tell people about Jesus and how God loves them. And I can tell you that I have some friends. Some of them are professionals. Some of them from long ago. And I kind of get to the heart of the matter. And one of my friends, and I shared with him, we kind of go back and forth. And he'd rather believe in aliens and little green men on spaceships and that would be, that's really, he's into that, but he completely discounts God. So I said, listen, bro, let's just cut to the chase. I know your lifestyle. I know what you do. You're very open about it. Um, you know, he's a partier, man. And I said, you, you're concerned that if there truly is a God, that you might have to make some changes. He goes, Joe D, I can't argue with you. He goes, you're right about that. I said, so let's just say it for what it is. I could sit here and try to prove to you the existence of God all day long, but you're not ready to leave the lifestyle that you're in. Stuff that I actually did, some of the stuff before I was, uh, got saved. I knew God was there. I just was far from him. He says, the, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. Now, so I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting my knee worked on. And I'm just fascinated by anatomy and physiology. I love the human body. I love what it does. And uh, I'm learning about the iliotibial band. It's not a group. <laughs> uh, iliotibial band. So you have your, you got your femur, the upper leg bone. You have your quadricep, which is a, such a cool muscle. It has four sections and it, it's, it's torsional. It wraps around the, uh, the femur. It attaches to various points so that you could move. But there's this thing called the iliotibial band, which is a sheet. 
It's a sheet of fascia that runs uh, really on the side of the thigh, and it connects from the hip or the pelvis down to the tibia, which is the bone below the femur. And what this does is this band actually conserves energy. And what it does is when you're in your, uh, your most stretched out portion of your gait, whether walking or running, it stretches. It actually stores potential energy uh, in the form of elastic energy. And when it's ready to be released, when the gait continues and it springs back, it releases uh, kinetic energy. And this is just kind of one of those things that, that um, the physical therapist kind of use one of these bands, but it, it kind of makes the point where it stretches it, right? And then when it comes back, it does that. Now, this is important because God made four-footed animals that have a certain gait, but we're bipeds. We work on, walk on two legs. Our muscles and our bones are so heavy to actually lug them back and forth. God has provided these redundant systems in the human anatomy and physiology so that we can conserve energy. It's almost like a perpetual motion machine that's not 100%. It's the same thing with the plantar fascia. It's also fascia at the the bottom of the foot that keeps all the bones in the foot in an arch in a spring-like fashion so you can spring when you run. You know, people run marathons, 20 miles. How do you do that? Well, God set that up for you. You know what I'm saying? If you had to sprint and get away from a mountain lion, you could do that with all the equipment he gave you. If you didn't have some of these redundancies built into the human body, we would have real trouble getting around. So my physical therapist, and I'm witnessing him, I love him. This guy fixes everything on me. And now I know why I go to him because I tell him about the Lord. Uh, He worked on both of my shoulders. didn't need surgery. He just worked on my knee. My knee's doing a lot better. And I said, brother, you're smart. I said, you're a lot smarter than me. You know a lot more about anatomy and physiology. I said, explain to me how complexity is designed by randomness. Explain to me how destructive forces, mutations, accidents, mistakes millions and millions over millions and millions of years can, compl- can make something that's such a complex system. I said any system that has any complexity is designed by a mind that's more complex than the system it's creating. So how does mutations, how does, this is the, the core of evolution. And I've talked to biologists, I've talked to people a lot smarter than me, they get frustrated because they can't answer the question. And I'm, listen, I'm, if some of you believe in this stuff, let's have a discussion after service. But how does it? Is, this, is it a force? Is it an intellectual force? And how does it determine it? Because an intellectual force has to have order to its thinking processes. Makes no sense at all. And that's just the iliotibial band. I mean, I can talk to you about... Listen, I have mad respect for this one bird called the golden plover. That it decides when it's too close, when it's too cold in Alaska, it decides to take off and make a um, 2,500-mile journey to Hawaii going across waters with no navigation system, with no islands for the reference. The sea can be mesmerizing. To hit this little island in Hawaii, its wings beat in this one-way trip nonstop 250,000 times, and and it takes 88 hours to get there. But that just happened. How many birds would end up in the water? You know what I'm saying? You'd never, they'd never evolve if it was about evolution. They also know how to, to fly in a V formation that they can conserve. They could break the wind. They, it's like a spearhead formation. And by the time they get to Hawaii, they have just enough energy to go and find more food. 
But God had designed them. The birds have, uh, they have lungs. They have all these other sacs in their bodies. You know, we have a bunch of organs in here. If you cut us open, if you cut a bird open, it's all air. They have air sacs everywhere. And there's a reason for that because the high altitude birds need to really conserve oxygen. Their hearts, the heart of a bird, especially high altitude birds, proportionally are twice the size of a human heart. So if we had their heart proportionally, it would take up our whole chest just happen that way how many birds would crash and you know slam into buildings and it's just it doesn't work but this is what god says he says people make up these foolish ideas and it's indoctrinated in our public schools and our 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 universities and if you believe in god and a creator you're the one who's ignorant now i don't make fun of evolutionists because honestly i want to lead them to christ i mean i don't i talk to you a certain way but you know, in my discussions, I, I try to listen and I try to pay attention. But, you know, you have a continuum, right? There's a, a continuum. It's complete randomness, chaos, entropy, second law of thermodynamics, all the way on the other end is complete intelligence and um, complexity. You can't have this creating this. It makes no sense. And I find a lot of Christians, especially the ones going to college, they're intimidated by these professors. And they, they give in. Or they don't, they don't say what they really believe in their heart. So, I mean, I've talked about evolution before, but this is the deal. We continue on in verse 21. It says, Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And we see that today, right? There's so much education. Education's great. I went to a good school. I got a bachelor's, a popular college. But, you know, the, the knowledge is just relegated to this earth, and we also come to a lot of wrong conclusions. If you ever watch physicists debate each other, they're nasty. Because they all want to be the one with the theory that explains this, that, or the other thing. And so somebody's got to be right. Somebody's got to be wrong. They're vicious. You know what I'm saying? I've seen these debates with scientists. And it says, And they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So two is the clenching starts in the mind. They refuse to give God glory. They refuse to be thankful. And then the the uh, separation starts from God. Listen, you look at any relationship, I don't care what it is, marital, parental, whatever, you, start be- you stop being thankful, you stop uh, seeking that person, it's going to end up in shambles. You know, There's going to be misunderstandings, there's going to be, you know, we grew apart, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and mankind, refusing to give God's glory, refusing to be thankful, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, wow, I can breathe, I can see, you know what I'm saying? I got two arms, two legs, I got out of bed. There's a lot of accomplishment in about five minutes, and I'm thankful for that. Just to, just to get into the idea or the mindset or the routine of being thankful. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools, right? Um, he speaks about idolatry here. Now check this out. Again, you can category categorize this there was a point in time and my bible my study bible says reason for gentile guilt or in that time it wasn't the children of israel and everybody else was a gentile but unfortunately a lot of their folly started to spread to the children of israel and we see that today as well so it's all mankind is guilty before god 
right? The clenching starts in the mind. Now, there's different categories for what happened was at some point, uh, human beings decided to worship the creation rather than the creator. So I'll look at some categories. Uh, The creatures, right? Worshiping animal gods. The Egyptians worshiped the cat god. People worship elephant gods today. And we're, we're in an enlightened, educated society, and people are worshiping animal gods. So that's one category. Another, with the, when, the, when it comes to the creatures, is the god of the cosmos, right? Some, they worship Mother Earth. As of Mother Earth, they can have a relationship with the planet. God created the earth for a reason, but not that, <laughs> okay? Uh, in addition to that, the Egyptians worshiped the sun god, and they were the most educated and advanced society of their day. And they worshiped uh, creation instead of the creator. And last, I saved this one for last, is the man and woman deities. This, you see this in the Greco-Roman pantheons. You know, Zeus and uh, you know, Hera and uh, you know, all these different gods that were human characteristics. Very interesting. Man and women deities. Worshipping a man or a woman instead of the one who created that man or the woman. And the best one for our culture is self. We worship... Right? In our culture, the God of self. Now, in, in the age of YouTube and social media, everyone could be the, the king and queen of their own fiefdom. You can delete people that don't agree with you. Uh, everybody wants to be a YouTube hero. There's stuff you see on YouTube that, boy, is so embarrassing. And employers check this out before, and smart employers before they hire people. You know, social media, you look at some of these videos and there's, there's so much narcissism, right? People worship themselves and they gain a following. If you don't agree with them, you're deleted from the account. You're deleted from the group. But this is where we are as a culture. So the God of self is very, very prevalent in American culture. And unfortunately, it's invaded some of the Christian culture. Uh, imagine this great God looking down at a, at a race that he's created, mankind, that's worshiping the creature and the creation instead of him. So humankind is guilty before God. Verse 24, we continue. He says, therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now, you have to look at this all the way to the end. And people will cherry pick something out of here, and we're going to talk about it. But it goes with the entire thought here. God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up free will. Do what you want to vile passions for even their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. So at this point, Pastor Paul is going to come up while I sit down and notice he's not moving. It's a joke. (laughs) You'll figure it out over time. But three, the clenching spreads to the actions. Self-deification, making myself my own God, leads to self-indulgence. And verse 24, the scariest phrase in the Bible, God gave them up. You do what you want. God gave us free will. And even as Christians, you know, we can use our free will to become further away from him. We shouldn't. 
right? He gave them up. And that's a very scary place to be. Now, can anybody get saved? Of course they can. But do you really want to gamble? Do you want to play Russian roulette every day that you have another 30 years to get right with God? At some point, I didn't want to. I was like, why do I keep running from him? Verse 24, the lie, the creature is above the creator, the suppression of the creator, and the, the idolatry that results in thoughts and actions. Verses 26 and 27, this is why I said in my opening that there are some ministries that just do not want to touch this subject because it's polarizing. It's polarizing because of ignorance, right? So let's go through this. This is obviously speaking about homosexuality. It is a sin, but there's probably about thousands of sins that even heterosexuals commit. Okay, sin is sin. (laughs) Sin separates us from God. What's the context of the scripture? The context is what happens when we go far away from God. The sin of this is the sin against, really, creation. God made men and women to populate the earth. And if everybody went in this direction before modern technology, the human race wouldn't exist anymore. So it's a sin against nature, the natural order of things. Now, I I could tell you something. I agonized over reading this because I just know you watched uh, TV for a half an hour and everybody is, is at each other's throats. They don't agree with each other. They're arguing with each other. We live in a very polarized culture. So I'm not going to be a coward. I'm actually going to talk about this. Okay, so now, but, but church, let's talk about where, where Christianity, I don't want to say Christianity, true Christianity, where the Christian culture has fallen short. There's a group. How many people have heard of this church group called Westboro Baptist? They, they carry placards, and it's very demeaning to homosexuals. There's about 39 people in the church. It's run by one family. And the more I researched them, the more I found that it's really more of a cult than anything. I did some research. I actually went on their websites. Uh, The the things they say about gay people are are demeaning. It's slang. They're epithets. And I'm actually reading their material, and I'm seeing, well, they hate gay people. We know that. They hate soldiers. They hate America. They hate Jews. They hate evangelicals. I'm thinking, who do they like? You know what I'm saying? This is not a representation of Christians. Unfortunately, the media loves to put them forth as, well, this is Christianity. No, it's not. They're weird. They're hateful. God doesn't call us to be hateful. Just a little uh, personal background. My wife, for many years, was in the performing arts. She has a lot of friends who are homosexuals. I've actually gotten to know a lot of them. I've been to theaters where they performed. Decent stuff. (laughs) I've been to uh, reunions. And you know what I do? I love them and I share Jesus. So if we're doing it the way Jesus says, we're doing it right. God has not called us to hate anybody or to look at one sin as, you know, I'll tell you, I don't do everything right, but I had this, this meeting with somebody and my young adults and teens think I can do anything. So they th- I think they purposely throw challenges at me. So this is a, a time where I did it right. One of my young adults comes up to me and says, I know this guy, he's a young homosexual man, and he got himself in trouble with the law. And the judge said, you can go to a professional, psychiatrist, psychologist, or you can go to clergy. So, of course, he came to me. Why? Because I don't charge. <laughs> That's a no-brainer. <laughs> so so we're, we're, I'm going through kind of like an anger management with him, and he's doing really well. I'm telling him about God. And uh, I, start, I find myself start liking this kid. Like, he's like a son. You know, I'm looking at him that way. And he had some trouble in his, in his family and 
one thing led to another, and he had anger issues. So he's really doing really well. And at the fourth session, fourth, fifth session, he goes, okay. He goes, the elephant in the room. <laughs> he goes, what does the church think of me, you know, being gay? So I said, well, it doesn't matter what the church thinks. Quite frankly, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks. And this is what God says in his word. So it was tough for him to swallow. He said, but I also am a sinner. I don't sin the same sins as you, but my sins will send me to hell just as surely as yours will. I said, but I've trusted in a Savior who died for my sins. He's also died for your sins. So you and I can be in the same place as long as we trust Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. He goes, hmm, I've never heard it explained that way. So he goes, he has all these follow-ups. He goes, uh, so would I be welcome in this church? I said, absolutely, you're in the church right now. You know what I'm saying? He goes, would my partner? I said, yes, as long as you're coming here to seek after God. We had uh, several years ago a trans person come up and receive Jesus, and uh, they eventually had to move out of state. But listen, we're, we're gay-friendly, so to speak. Uh, but here's the thing. You might say, well, how could you be friends with homosexuals when they know what you preach because if you listen to my messages they're not hateful also there was a time in america i know it's very different now there was a time in america that you could be you could disagree vehemently on a subject and still be friends right now it's become we're polarized this is why i try to stay away from politics from the pulpit because you know because it just it just sabotages everything people don't listen with an open mind Listen, I love gay people. I think they're interesting people, and and I want them to know about Jesus. Who the heck am I? I'm a pastor, but I sin. Who am I to look at somebody else and say, your sin's worse than mine? We're all done without Christ. There's no hope for us. You know, I could go on. I mean, I don't have to like some of the militant agenda and the pushing it in the schools with the kids and stuff, and I can voice my displeasure about that. Uh, You're always going to find Christians that... That, uh, you know, it's funny how people's experiences color their thinking. Well, some of these Christians are hateful and they don't like me because I'm gay. Well, I've got to tell you something. People have passed through this church that I don't think they like anybody. Thank God God moved them on. You know, like I said, I would think, why are they here? I don't even think they like me. You know what I'm saying? So there's just some Christians that they just, there's just no love in their heart. They're just bitter. They're... They're just mean-spirited. And, you know, when you become a Christian, you're supposed to be warm. I'm warm from the pulpit. I'm warm out of the pulpit. But am I a a coward? Am I not going to tell you what the Bible says? No. Am I going to disagree with God's word? No. Why can't we do two things at once? Why can't we hate the sin but really love the sinner? Amen? Amen. (laughs) Oh, Oh, goodness. I need to go take a nap now. You know, folks, I'm honest with you. I am honest. I'm transparent. And I've been praying. I'm like, Lord, this passage. I want to teach Romans. Oh, I forgot this was in here. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. I'm just like you. I'm no better than you. I'm, a, I'm flesh and bone. My knees are all right. They're going to stop shaking. All right, we're good now. Can you strike that from the video? I'm just kidding. Anyway. We'll continue. (laughs) Verse 28. Got an amen back there. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Now, again, he's speaking about the race that he created. 
Okay, let's, we can't focus on one thing. He goes into some specifics. Let's speak about context. Now he's going to bring it out generally. As they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, and there's a lot of sexual immorality, not just one. Wickedness, covetousness. Have I done some of these things? Sure. Do I have to sometimes repent that I think some of these things? Sure. Maliciousness, full of envy. Have I ever envied? Um, if I thought in my mind, I'd like to smack that person. Maybe I'm committing murder in my heart. Jesus spoke about that. Strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters. Those are gossips. You know what I notice about gossips? They have huge followings on social media. You know why? Because nobody wants to delete them. Because then they'll tear them apart on their page. It's happened to me. But I don't care. My thing is... You know what? That's just mean. It's nasty. I don't want to be a part of it. Eventually, it goes away, and they find another subject. Uh, Haters of God, violent, proud. Have I ever been proud? Boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving. As Christians, we need to be forgiving. Unmerciful, we need to be merciful. Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, not only... Do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Four, from God's perspective, mankind is hopeless. Hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. Nobody gets into heaven unless they can, they can be as righteous as God. That's why he sent Jesus. The good news is that Christ died for all of our sins. Okay? I'm getting into heaven. I deserve punishment for my sins against the creator, but I'm not getting into heaven because I'm a pastor or because I'm a nice guy. I'm getting into heaven because I've trusted in Christ and what he did on the cross for my sins. He appeased God's righteousness by dying for those sins. He took the penalty for me and for you, but it's your decision whether you want to follow him or not. That's why I will continue to come into this pulpit and preach Christ and the saving gospel. So three sets of natural or three sets of laws that prove the existence of God, going back to the kind of evolution thing, is A, natural laws. The order and complexity of a blade of grass proves God's existence. You ever even think about the leaf on the trees and the changing of the colors and the photosynthesis and the change in weather and... We, 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 we walk past it every day. We rake our leaves and we get annoyed that we have to rake our leaves and we don't think about why the leaves are on the ground and brown. Simple things in the leaf, the complexity that we could not com- uh, create. I'm a beekeeper. I've talked about bees. They're engineering feats that they do in a dark hive with very simple communication. Who put that there? <laughs> it just happened by accident. Ants, pheromones, the way they find food, the way they communicate with each other, the way they build amazing structures answer a pain, but you have to appreciate them for what they can do. Um, and they don't need building permits, which is great. So uh, B, written law, mosaic law, proves that from ancient times, God had a prescription for society and what not to do to each other. And again, you have ancient cultures that, that except unless they're really depraved, uh, that murder is wrong. Taking your friend's spouse for yourself is these very simple things that all humankind tries to follow. And then see the law of conscience. So 
you know, when you do something wrong, even before I was a Christian, if I would do something really wrong, my conscience would bother me. And I wasn't even a Christian yet. So God has prescribed the law of conscience that when we overstep uh, something that's, and we do something that's really sinful, it bothers us. So these are different laws that prove the existence of God. Now, I've been asked the question a lot, what about, and people love to come with these questions, what about the remote society <laughs> so you, in the middle of nowhere and they haven't heard about Jesus, are they going to hell? No. No. Because God is going to find a way, Jesus still died for their sins, let me rephrase that. He's going to find a way to get them the understanding of the gospel. So in North Korea and Iran, two big uh, countries that are just hateful towards uh, Christianity, uh, they even block radio signals. There's been people in those countries that have reported visions and dreams and scripture that they would never know because Bibles are illegal, and God gets them the information. Now, in America, just Jesus everywhere. If you're presented with the gospel the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and you purposely reject it, then you've chosen to be separated from God for eternity. That's your choice. But in these primitive cultures, because a missionary uh, forgot to get there and the person dies, God doesn't go, oh my goodness, that person died and I didn't get a missionary. Oh, too bad for them. He's a fair God, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, he'll use the, the law of their conscience. He'll use the law of nature for them to seek after God and he'll do the rest. I firmly believe that. And people do that. They know I'm, I can be fiery and passionate about hell and judgment. And, you know, they'll say my loved one passed away and I'm really panicking because I don't think they knew the Lord. And I'm actually comforting them saying the Bible speaks about deathbed conversions. God is so merciful. He'll get them. Now, listen, can, they, can a person all the way to the end say, I hate God, I hate God, I hate God. No, I'm not listening. Oh, this is really painful. I'm laying in this bed, but I'm going to gamble with, you know, what's going to happen in the next hour. Sure. I think, I think rarely people do that. You know, salvation is a, is a personal thing. Uh, my neighbor, whom I loved like a father, he uh, got cancer, and he would mock me. And he loved me. He let me borrow his tools. He, he cut my lawn when I, I first moved in. I couldn't afford a lawnmower. Uh, and then when he was on his deathbed, he was, he was different but wouldn't admit it. And it was a nurse that came to me and said he was... I, I stayed out of the room because he was looking up and he was talking to God. So he didn't want to admit, maybe for pride, I don't know what, how people think, but he heard it, he heard it, he heard it, and I believe he's in the right place. God's a merciful God. God, it's the Bible says that God desires that none should perish, but that all would come to salvation. That's God's heart. So do you not think that he will do everything that he can to reach every person on the planet? I, could I keep track of 10 people? Probably not. He can keep track of 8 billion lickety split. It's not a problem for him. You know what I'm saying? So when the, I know about his goodness and I know how caring he is and I know that this is his desire. And those people who say they're Christians and are hateful and mean-spirited, they do not represent God at all. Period. God loves, he hates sin, but he loves the sinner, and that's why he provided Jesus Christ. Listen, there's people on the planet, and I'm reading a lot more testimonies of um, the person was in Hamas, the person was in Al-Qaeda. They somehow, I don't know, stole a Bible from a Christian to burn it, a page open. They read a few verses, and they gave their heart to the Lord. They're like, I never saw such love in, in a book like this. So you have terrorists who are coming to Christ.
If that can happen, anybody can come to Christ. Amen? Okay, five. All what we've all been waiting for. But God, the best phrase ever, a full exoneration. Jesus came, took our place at the cross, died for our sins. Okay? But folks, we can't know how good salvation is unless we know how depraved mankind is. And you, you can go to these light ministries where it's always positive, and they say, do you want to receive Jesus? No, nah, I'm cool. Well, you think you're cool because they never told you about what awaits sinful human flesh. So I'm here to tell you what the Bible says so that when you receive Christ, you're, you're saying, yeah, now I do, I do see my need for Jesus. It only makes sense. It only makes sense. So, if you're seeking the things of God, there's a lot to take in today. If nothing else, right, if you don't know the Lord, is that God's righteous wrath on mankind, fully deserved, has been appeased, has been paid for on the cross. If we call ourselves Christians, this is another reason, after we read this, to put away petty unforgiveness and petty disputes with each other, petty grievances, knowing that we were forgiven a lot more than somebody who's offended us and hurt our feelings. We should be walking in love and forgiveness. So the harsh words are not the end of the story. The end of the story is but God. And as we go through Romans, we're going to see this legal document about how God says, for this reason, mankind has failed. But however, I'm going to, I did something that can redeem the entire planet, and I hold nothing against anybody once your sins are paid in full. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.